We are in the uh, last paragraph of chapter 7 in the book of Acts, and um, I want to begin by saying, into every person's life come defining moments. These are the moments that change your life from that time forward. Uh, They come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Uh, A defining moment could be when you're hired for your dream job. You remember that? Some of you still waiting for that? Yeah. You know, another defining moment could be when the boss comes to you and says, I think the company's going to be moving in a different direction. You need to collect your things. Defining moment, right? It can be the birth of your child. It can be a graduation, uh, getting a degree. Uh, It can be a failure or a diagnosis or a death. Uh, These are moments, defining moments in a person's life. They change us. They change our futures. It could be like a a defining moment of uh, late September of 1981, and you're at the plaza in Kansas City, Missouri, which is the most romantic place on the planet. Wouldn't you agree? I need an agreement today, okay? You agree? Yes, there's a fountain. The light is just perfect. And you ask the love of your life to marry you. And she says, yes. Life is never the same. Defining moment. I would say, as significant as defining moments are, there's probably something more important. It's how you let defining moments shape your future. How you let them change you. Will you be humble with success? Will you be bitter over loss? Defining moments don't uh, necessarily, they can, but they don't necessarily build character as much as they reveal character. They, they, they can open us up and, and we can see firsthand the selfishness in our life or, or the pride or, or the prejudice. Uh, they can also re- reveal as we walk through these times our closeness to Christ and uh, the true freedom from the worldly pursuits and recognition. This really ought to bother me, but it, it really is not getting in here because of the closeness of Christ. But needless to say, life-changing moments show us how much we need the Lord in our lives. In our study in the book of Acts, we are at the last paragraph of chapter 7. It's where Stephen becomes the first martyr of the Christian faith. Um, He has been brought before the ruling council, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, on false charges. And he has given this long, lengthy historical review of the Jewish people leading up to the the person of Jesus Christ and um, the Savior of the world. He's even accused those that are sitting in front of him of betrayal and murder of Jesus. He accuses them of being responsible for the crucifixion of the living God. And needless to say, they have not taken it very well. (laughs) So we come to the closing paragraph of Acts 7, beginning in 54. 
Now, when they heard us, they were cut to the quick, which means sawn in two emotionally. They were just angry. And they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he, Stephen, gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know later is converted and becomes the great apostle Paul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. I'm here to tell you today that you never know what life is going to throw at you. <laughs> you're, just, you're just going about your business, doing your thing, raising your kids, loving your grandkids, going to work, celebrating birthdays and anniversaries, and all of a sudden it's January 1st, 2020. The new year begins, and before long you start hearing about what? This virus thing. Then everything in mid-March gets shut down, even churches. Millions of people lose their jobs. The economy is devastated. Then we have civil unrest, unlike anything we've seen since the 60s. And uh, you never know what life is going to throw at you. And even now, here we are some months later, and I would say probably still two-thirds of our folks are still joining us online and not in person. I think of Stephen in this situation. If you were Stephen... What would you have wanted God to do at this particular moment? <laughs> Here's my point. God offers courage and not necessarily escape. I mean, when you have a problem, wouldn't you like to get a little uh, salvation and I need to get out of this? I need more money. I need the job. I need, you know, come on, right? We face difficulties from time to time and we ask God, well, just make it go away. I know, Lord, you have the power to bring healing, so hello, right? I know you have the, the power to change my adversary's heart. Come on. Hey, all I need, Lord, is a little bit more money. And so we pray these things, and instead of the answers that we think are so important to us, we are offered courage as we walk through the valleys of life. I mean, don't you love courage? Don't you, don't you love courage when you see it? I mean, rather than just the easy waving of the magic wand, quick fix, to see the courageous spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ working through the lives of individuals inspires us. We 
love courage. <laughs> we love it when we see it in movies, don't we? We love it when we read it in books. <laughs> People who face odds that are stacked against them, and instead of wilting in fear, they rise up and run into the fight. Don't you love it? How about you? There's just something about it that inspires us, makes us want to be like that. Perhaps you've heard of the movie Braveheart. You ever heard of Braveheart? I mean, it's Father's Day. I got to say something about Braveheart, right? <laughs> right? One of the greatest movies. 13th century is the setting story of William Wallace, his fight for freedom for the Scots against England. Bravery, courage, loses his life at the end. It's a great movie. <laughs> One of the famous quotes, perhaps the most famous quote from the movie is this. Every man dies, not every man truly lives. I think about that sometimes. Courage. Not wilting in fear in the face of an adversary. You look at the scene with Stephen, he's just accused his, uh, he's just accused his accusers of betrayal and murder. He knows they hold the power over life and death for him, and uh, he, he just, uh, just kind of keeps stoking the fire. They are gnashing their teeth at him with great anger, and he throws more gasoline on it, and uh, he says he sees heaven, and there's Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father, and um, Jesus, whom you all thought was an imposter, hey, you tried to kill him, he rose from the dead. Look, he's standing with the Father. As an, onlook, as an onlooker, just a third-party reader here, you want to say, Stephen, be quiet, right? If you just can keep your mouth shut, you might survive this, but he is not having any of it. He keeps sealing his fate by courageously proclaiming the glory of God as long as he has been given breath to speak. Another thing that we see from the story is that God offers heaven and not earthly safety. The room where Stephen is, it is filled with emotion. They're cut to the quick, his accusers. They're so angry. They're gnashing their teeth. They're screaming at him. They're covering their ears because they don't want to hear another word he has to say. And so you can just sense the hatred, the, the level of angst in the room with these guys. And what is Stephen doing? I see heaven opened up. Something I've learned in my life is this. Heaven changes everything. And, and I'm not talking about when you die. I'm talking about while you're here on this planet, living heaven changes everything. When you live the heaven life, it changes how you think about the earthly turmoil around you. It changes how you see danger. It changes how you see disease. It sets you free to live in the face of death because my home is not here. It's where? Heaven. Now, this may come as a startling revelation. Heaven is not like earth. 
Just blew you away, didn't I? Heaven is nothing like this planet. It is completely different. It's freedom. It is the scene that we see in this Act 7. We see all of this turmoil and all this angst, all this hunger for power, all this. And we see a man in heaven. He's on earth, but he's in heaven. He's just living that heaven life right in the midst of all of this. Heaven is freedom. Heaven is Jesus. His, his presence just permeates everything. His hope, his love. And when he came to earth, he brought heaven with him. And he released into this earth to where his followers, where his Holy Spirit comes into us. He brings heaven, freedom, hope, while we live here in this world. Here's something I've learned over and over in my way over 40 years of life on this planet. I said way over, okay? All right? No, this is... God's presence is so real so close in the most difficult days of your life. It's like he just rushes in with his love and uh, he just says, I know what you're going through. And uh, right in the midst of difficulty, these, these people start loving on you and caring for you and it's just the way God says, I love you. I care. I know. He comforts us through his scriptures. And uh, he's so real, so close, so comforting. And uh, he wants us to know that when we walk through life's valleys, we need not fear because he's with us. And I want you to know so many people miss the beauty God wants to create in them because they want earthly safety. And they come with their prayers and they want God to fix their earthly problems. They want God to make things go away and they want God to... They want Him focused. God, I want you focused on my problem here and I want you to take care of it. Heaven can wait. Ever been there? And I want you to know that is such a warped view of God, and it's a warped view of a, the world view of the Christian faith. To think that God came and died on a cross so that he can make earth better for us and solve all of earth's problems, or to bring heaven to invade earth. And we miss it so often. Because we're focused on getting God to do our bidding rather than to just enjoy His presence as we journey through. I use this a little analogy in my own life, and uh, I've used it here several times, but uh, it just helps me so much when I walk through places of difficulty. 
It's like you're standing out in the wilderness and uh, all you have to eat in your little brown paper bag is a measly bologna sandwich. First of all, how many of you even know what bologna is? It's a generational thing, I think, you know. And you're in this very dark and dismal place, and all you have is this, and and you take it out, and it just falls apart on the ground. And now how could anything get much worse than this? And uh, you begin to pray to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I... I just want you to come and fix this little sandwich so that I can have something to eat, that I can survive one more day. And he kind of comes and says, I don't really care a whole lot about your little bologna sandwich. I have a palace and a banquet waiting for you. If you'll just walk with me out of this wilderness. So many times we go, no, I know this. I'm comfortable with this existence out here. I don't know what the adventure of faith inside of there is. I'm so much more used to this. I can't fathom that. C.S. Lewis said it perfectly. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. He says, we are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. (laughs) We are far too easily pleased. Just fix my sandwich You imagine Stephen being drugged outside the city by an angry mob and they begin throwing the stones. And uh, I mean, can you imagine being stoned to death? What that must be like. I mean, they, I'm sure they weren't little rocks, right? One after one, they just hit you. They hit you in the head. The pain here, pain, the pain begins to develop everywhere. And I, I, I can't not even fathom what that is like. And the anger of those throwing and... Uh, And yet crying out from the barrage of stones, Stephen identifies with Jesus. He says the same words Jesus said on the cross. Lord, receive my spirit. Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them. Here's my point. God offers peace while the stones keep coming. Let me ask you, have you ever thought that you've seen the last stone? I'm good from here, right? I've got good news. The stones are going to keep coming. You know, something tells me that uh, what we see going on in our country today, something tells me that we're just getting started. Um, I mean, we've seen local leaders just turning over jurisdictions of parts of their cities to non-elected mobs. and uh, We've seen the rising of a brazen movement to tear down the fabric of the American ideal of freedom and justice. 
We've seen the ugliness of hatred and prejudice, and we've seen the highest court in the land issue verdict after verdict after verdict, even this last week, dismantling our God-centered heritage in favor of some kind of more modern, inclusive society. The stones just keep coming. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, a great example for us in this day in which we live. He keeps his eyes on the prize, and because he does that, he is able to love up to the very end, even those who are throwing the stones. He wants them forgiven. His heart is not stained with the anger of revenge or the bitterness of having to play this role in history. He is at peace, stone after stone after stone. I want to be like that, amen? (laughs) Reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Philippians, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you know that there is a peace that you cannot even understand? I am going through the worst possible thing, and I had no idea why I'm so at peace. I can't explain it to you. Why is there such the presence of peace when all of this is happening? just comes. And in these days that we face in our culture, the church, the true church, I truly believe is rising up as a glorious witness to the goodness of God, just like Stephen. They will be courageous. They will be the consistency of love. There will be this genuine strength of faith. There will be the incredible supernatural expression of peace in the midst of the chaos. This church will shine stone after stone after stone. Do you believe that today? (laughs) I do. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Did you know that the gospel is offensive to the culture today? The exclusivity of Christianity, it's hated by the world. Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He said that there is no other way to God except through him. There is no other way to heaven except through him. Jesus is it, exclusive. You have to be in Christ Allah will not get you there. Buddha will not get you there. No other worldview will get you there. Jesus is it. There is this truth of Christianity, and everything else is false. And that is deeply, deeply objectionable to the modern worldview in which we live. So, what do they do? throw stones. 
And folks, as they throw them, we love them. Amen. We love them. We ask the Father to forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. One last thing about this stoning of Stephen. We never know when one chapter ends and a new one begins in our lives, do we? Obviously, for Stephen, this is not the end of a chapter. It's the end of the book of his life. And, uh, but for the church, it's a different story. This scene changes everything. This scene in this passage in Acts, the seventh chapter, changes everything for the church. Up until now, the Jewish leaders had uh, they'd seen the rise of the followers of Christ, and uh, they'd seen literally thousands of people come to faith in Christ, and uh, they tried to use their court system to put it down. They dragged Peter and John into court, remember that, and told them, don't talk about God anymore, don't talk about Jesus anymore, and uh, flogged them and let them go, and then they kept talking about Jesus, and so they threw them in jail, and God broke them out of jail, and then they went back and kept talking about Jesus. So they'd been trying to let them know this is not going to turn out for you very well if you just keep going down this track, and they just kept doing it. And so now we've come to the point where the Jewish rulers have had enough, and the Jewish people that are allegiant to the old guard and the old law and want to expel this whole gospel of grace, they had it. And they drag him out and kill him. If you were a Christian, you had become a marked person deserving of death. And if you were a good Jew, you would kill every Christian that you could find. Saul, who later became the great apostle Paul after his conversion, he was one of those persecuting the Christians. And it's important for us to see what happens because up till now, all of the activity of the Christian faith had been centered in Jerusalem. And in Acts, I'm going to read ahead the, the first verse of 8. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Running for their lives, really. Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Do you remember some of the last words that Jesus told his apostles back in Acts 1.8? He says, you'll be my witnesses, both here in Jerusalem and where? In Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. So the call of Christ to his followers in Acts 1.8 is being fulfilled in Acts 8.1. Persecution, the martyrdom of Stephen that unleashed this broad-based persecution of the church really served the, to advance the gospel as all of these followers of Christ took the message out to the world. Chapter 1 in the early church closed at the end of 7. Chapter 2 opens in chapter 8. I think about the church today. 
You think there's a new chapter beginning, getting ready to open in the church of Jesus Christ in America today? I mean, my whole life, I mean, you know, like I said, over 40 years now, um, um, my whole life, church has kind of basically been the same. I mean, I mean, yeah, we've gone through all of the music shifts, haven't we, and over the last 40 plus, okay, 60 plus years, okay, all right, all right. Uh, but in a lot of ways, there's, there's a lot of similarity throughout my entire life on ministry, church, and could it be that there is a historic, epic closing of a chapter and an opening of new opportunities for the gospel of Jesus Christ in our day. Something like none of us in this room have ever seen before. I mean, the, 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 the growing hostility towards the faith almost dictates that that will happen. Maybe it could be that the trappings of of church, even the trappings of religious kinds of activities will give way to the true penetrating good news that Jesus saves, that he's real, that he did come. There is genuine hope. We don't need all this stuff in order to present to you the very life-changing richness of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> Do you think the church could exist without a building? Do you think it could thrive without a building? Oh, yes. Then I think about my life, your life. You never know what life's going to throw at you. You never know when that one chapter gets closed and a new one opens. And uh, I want you to know there have been a lot of chapters in my life that I'm glad they ended. <laughs> right? And maybe some of you need to know something. This too shall pass. <laughs> It's personal testimony, but in my life, Grace Bible Church is a constant reminder that God writes the stories of our lives. The two years that preceded my coming to Grace were the hardest years of my life by far. And, and it, part of it was the physical circumstances of life. Uh, I, I hated my job. I wasn't in ministry full-time, and... Uh, wasn't, not only did I hate my job, they didn't pay me very much money. Have you ever had a job like that? You didn't make very much and you hated it. Some of you are going, yeah, well, I know. That's part of it. But part of it was that during that season of my life, God was doing radical surgery in my heart. Now that's pleasant, right? It was tough, but life-changing and... Uh, after going through that for a while, I received a call from Grace Bible Church seeing if I had any interest in doing some music at the church. And then they said these golden words, and we'll pay you. I'd never been in a Bible church before. I didn't know what it was all about. I said, I'll go. Two years later, they say, we want to bring you off the piano bench and make you the pastor of the church. That's almost 17 years ago. 
that God He wrote a new chapter. He started a new journey. And so I, I, I look back on that and I am reminded that God is always faithful. And I don't know what you face today. Maybe you're in that wilderness experience of your life. I don't know what all is going on with you. But before you leave this place today, I want you to know and hear this. God is faithful. When you look at the chaos in the world and you think, oh no, what are my kids going to grow up in? What are my grandkids going to grow up in? I want you to know, do not despair, do not fear, because God is faithful. He is faithful to the end. He makes his he makes us courageous when it's dark around us. He lets us see into heaven along the journey. And I can tell you from personal testimony that he gives you peace as the stones fly your way. You know why? He's just that good. Amen? He is just that good. Always. Pray with me. Father, I'm so grateful to you for your faithfulness to me. Father, I'm so grateful that you came and visited me this morning. I'm so grateful for the word that you pushed on my, put on my heart today to share. And I'm so grateful, Father, for your continuing to show up in my life over and over and over. And Father, I pray for the lives of these and uh, the people that they know and care about. And uh, some of them are taking on stones right now and they're being hurled at them. And uh, I pray, Father, peace over them today. I pray for supernatural peace to calm the troubled soul, to quiet the anxious heart that they may just know that they're wrapped in the love of God, and that they may know that you are with them, stone after stone after stone. Father, I pray for the church in these days in which we live. I pray for the gospel would just be clearly proclaimed and, pro and clearly seen through your people. I pray, Father God, that as we enter into this season in our country's life, in our world's existence, Father, that the church of Jesus Christ, the true believers in Christ, will rise gloriously, proclaiming 
that God is good. You're always good. And so, Father, we sing this song to you as a testimony and as a witness that no matter what we have faced in our life, we can faithfully say that you have walked with us, that you have been faithful, and that you are so very, very good. Thank you.